0: All right, let's calm down, quiet down. I think, are we live on, uh, on the internet? Yeah, we're live. Hey, say, say, clap for the folks on. I don't know where you've been throughout the course of the week, but when you walk into this building, you realize you are in the United States of America and there is freedom. Uh, So, we have titled tonight, um, A Religious Discussion on, um, what was it, Micah? A Religious Discussion on Medical Procedures. Because that way, uh, YouTube, if you're listening, this is a religious issue. Do not violate our First Amendment. And so, a number of us are Christians, a number of you aren't. Uh, But you are in a church, and I am a pastor, and so I get to do this. Um, Tonight, we have a, a returning guest who is my dear friend and also a member of the congregation. Dr. Judy Mikevitz. Bless you. Yeah, I think a standing ovation is necessary here. And you can remain standing for Robert or Bobby Kennedy, Jr. Hey, please have a seat. So the format for tonight is uh, real simple. I'm going to have them relax and enjoy themselves. I'm going to ask them a few questions. And then through the course of the evening, uh, we showed you the text number. You could have texted a question. If your question is a doctoral dissertation, it will not be asked. Keep them simple, uh, because David is the one reading them, and if he can't understand it, he won't ask it. And he's just a little bit smarter than me, so he's in a lot of trouble. Now, uh, before we begin, uh, you did give a standing ovation, and in a sense, neither of these two needed introduction, but I-, I wanted to tell you what's so special for me about tonight. Uh, we had no idea back in April when the governor said that the church was non essential, and I resigned from the city council because I, I just cannot live with that idea that a governor can declare a church non essential. It just doesn't work that way. That's the First Amendment. And so we've remained open. Uh, we did follow when we didn't know the severity of the virus, we did follow the CDC standards. Communion for us, as you can see, the sanctuary holds probably about 400 people. We did communion on April 4th. It took us almost three and a half hours because we had 10 seats and we were following CDC standards, just like Costco or anyone else would, but it was the cleanest place in all of California. Somebody would sit down, they'd get up, we'd spray it off. We didn't know the severity of the virus. We are now on, I think, 260 episodes of our live stream that we began to, uh, we had 20 subscribers when we began, not even that, And we wanted to minister to some of our folks who were 65 and older that were shut in during um, the the concerns over COVID. And now we're over 20,000 subscribers and we've had amazing guests. And this has taken on a life of its own. And no one would have ever expected that as we're here tonight, you have a lifelong Democrat, lifelong Republican, and we're completely unified in our desire for freedom, I was, introduced, I was introduced to Dr. Judy through a number of folks, and then I saw this precious woman out in the foyer, and I go, gosh, you look familiar. And then she said, well, I'm her, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> she's like, she's like sea biscuit. She's tiny, but she's mighty. Fair enough? Yeah. And she's taken on war, Admiral, and you're going to win. Hang in there. She's completely fearless. And then I had the privilege, my daughter, my oldest daughter, my oldest child, came to me and said, Dad, this man's my hero. And I was kind of offended because I'd always been her hero. (laughs) She said, Dad, this man's my hero. Dad, you got to listen to him. And you know, back then, all of us were struggling over this. But the gravitas that he brought to it, this this man, uh, and, and, and you know the iconic Kennedy family, and you know the suffering that they've endured. But he was given an editorial position where he'd get to write columns in the New York Times when he took on big oil. And then he steps out and he starts to address big pharma. And then he's erased. It's this cancel culture from the most iconic family that has suffered in this nation. And yet here he is contending for children that have been affected adversely, Neither of these two up here are anti-vax. Please understand that. And you'll hear more of it tonight. And we're going to take questions from you. But my daughter was so completely blessed meeting this man. She said, Dad, you have to meet him. Tonight was the first chance I had the privilege to meet you. I've, been, I've watched your stuff. I've been blown away by it. You have a convert in me. And um, he's a father of seven kids. He's got one grandkid here in Westlake. And again, let's welcome both of my friends. Thank you.: I even put a suit on tonight, but I refused to do a tie, because I knew you' are going to be East Coasty looking, and you're always buttoned up. and I wanted to do kind of in between you and Bobby.: You had
1: the. G- we're good, we're good. I never it right. Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll take the vest off, how's that? Uh, let me begin with you, Dr. Judy, and then we'll come, uh, I have such a struggle calling him Bobby. Anyone else struggle? I mean, that's, is that okay? I'm a, I was the mayor of the city, and that's a lifetime term, and so technically I am the Honorable Right Reverend Robert Roy Walter McCoy, <laughs> but I prefer Rob, so. Judy. You have, you have endured so much hostility, and we've covered it on the live stream in the evenings. And tonight, there was a topic you wanted to kind of address, and I loved what you said when we were in the green room. And the minute we say this name, um, it, we're going to have some troubles with you two, but I do want to uh, say this. For all the folks present here tonight, this is a religious issue for us. It is clearly a religious issue. And we're up against a government that's in violation of our our First Amendment freedoms. And yet, we're watching as in our community in California, it's gotten bigger than just the church. As a matter of fact, um, folks in in every area of California are troubled. Tell us from your perspective about this vaccination, if you would, that the difference between a therapeutic and a vaccine, and, um, and then I'll turn it over and this will be good, so.
1: Well, the reason I really wanted to come back and and talk tonight is, as we talked when Peggy Hall was here a few weeks ago and I was here the week before, um, you know, uh, this shot, this inoculation, does not meet any definition of a vaccine because in order to be a vaccine, you have to stimulate a, a therapeutic protective immune response and you have to prevent transmission. What this shot does is literally inject into every cell in your body, the very pathogenic part, the the surface parts of the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus that is um, purported to be the causative agent of COVID-19. So it literally causes the disease. It causes the fever, the chill, and more importantly, unlike the virus found in nature, it's been altered and expressed permanently, and and the lipid nanoparticle um, that is the envelope that surrounds it allows it to enter every cell in the body and contains pathogenic nano elements that 70% of the United States will react to in and which could be a deadly anaphylaxic toxic shock type allergic reaction just to that particle and then you put it in every cell of the body and you don't it doesn't cleave it doesn't degrade as it normally would and and it's not it's not doing anything except turning every cell in your body into a disease-producing factory and that's a medical device, it's not a vaccine, and it it needs to be explained to everyone so everyone thinks they're doing a good thing. And you're not protecting anyone. It doesn't stop the transmission of the real virus. It has literally nothing to do with it. It just makes you sick. And then you get sick. You wear the mask. You get sicker. um, And you think you're protected. And you could actually be coming in contact with coronavirus and spreading those. So that's the message that I felt we really needed to get here and and discuss tonight. And and a a week or so ago, um, Bobby and Dr. David Martin and I I did an um, uh, online webinar that you can find at lineinthesand.us, um, and, and we were focusing. We don't say the F-word anymore, so um, I won't say Fauci tonight again. <laughs> um, but Everybody we were say fo- goodbye to YouTube. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh,
0: Dr. Judy, religiously speaking, our scripture says that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And and we're not going to make this a, a deep theological dive, but all the folks are, we're stewards of our children's lives. And and Bobby, you have seven children, you have one grandchild, and I was captivated when you started to describe that this wasn't a vaccine, it's a therapeutic, and, it, and it's detrimental. And then you described, in your childhood growing up, you took, there were three vaccinations, and now we look at the schedule of vaccinations for the children, and you covered that not only is it profitable, but also the ancillary effects of the vaccination that Big Pharma profits from. But what really hit me is <sighs> there is no liability with Big Pharma in relation to this. And all of our families are looking to say, who takes responsibility for this as they're forcing it on us? And it hasn't been tested. Hasn't? Pre- can you shed light on that? and? Talk about that in any capacity?
2: Yeah, I had. Um, first of all, thank you for having me, and thank you for your courage. And um, you know, and they're thanking me for my courage. <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit, of, uh, a little bit about the history of the program, of the vaccine program. When I was a kid, I got three vaccines. My children this generation now get 72 doses of 16 vaccines. The change happened in 1989, and the reason it happened is, in 1980, another vaccine was added to the schedule, it's called the diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis vaccine, or DTP. It was a very dangerous vaccine. And UCLA, why is introduced it, UCLA was asked by NIH to do a study of fifteen thousand children to see they thought there would be one death in every fifteen thousand, which was a lot more than they were telling the public. They were telling the public one in a million. What they found was that, and we now have their internal documents. What they found was that that vaccine was killing or causing severe brain injury in one in every 300 children. Um, And the vaccine was later banned in the United States and banned in Europe. It is still given by Bill Gates to 161 million African children every year. The Danish government did a study in 2017 Nobody, Bill Gates says my vaccine has saved millions of lives. The Danish government said, you know what, nobody's actually looked at mortality and health outcomes from this vaccine, and they sent a team down to Guinea-Bissau, which is a country in West Africa, and they looked at 30 years of data, and it was the best scientist in the world, the most revered leaders of African vaccinology, you know, all of them, Peter A. a. and morganson and these very famous names, all of them very pro-vaccine. And what they found, and they published a study in January of 2017, and they found that girls who got that vaccine were 10 times more likely to die than children who did not get it. The girls were dying of things that nobody had ever associated with the vaccine. They were dying of pneumonia, of bilharzia, of anemia, of malaria. And nobody ever made the connection in 30 years that the only ones who were dying were the ones who got vaccinated. The vaccine was protecting people against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, but it had destroyed their immune systems so that other diseases found it much easier to invade and destroy their little bodies. And that's the problem, is that none of these studies are ever done. The the industry, as you pointed out, Reverend, should I call you Reverend? Yeah, I'll call you Bobby if you'll call me Rob. (laughs) Okay, Rob. (laughs) What, What the... The industry has two big advantages on every other medical product. One, there's no liability, so you're literally not allowed to sue a vaccine company for injuring you. Number two, and many people don't know this, is they're also exempt from safety testing. So not one of the 72 vaccine doses now mandated for our children has ever been tested against a placebo on preclinical trials. And the reason for that is an artifact of CDC's legacy as the public health services. So CDC used to be called the public health service. And that predecessor agency to the CDC was a quasi-military agency, which is why people at the CDC still have military ranks, like Surgeon General, and they dress in uniforms. And the vaccine program was initially launched as a national security defense against biological attacks on our country. So they wanted to make sure that if the Russians attacked us with anthrax or some other biological agent, that we could quickly formulate a new vaccine and then deploy it to 200 million Americans with no regulatory impediments. And they knew if they called it a medicine, they'd have to do five years of safety testing. Why five years? Because a lot of the injuries that come from medication are autoimmune injuries, and allergic injuries, and neurodevelopmental injuries that have long diagnostic horizons or long incubation periods. So you can give the, t- the t- you can do the study, and you will not see the injury for five years. Autism, for example, usually is not diagnosed for four years after the vaccine. And so they said, we don't wanna do five-year studies, so here's how we're gonna evade it. We're gonna call them biologics, rather than calling them vaccines. And the the other big advantage that they got was this DTP vaccine was killing so many kids and they were getting sued. And Wyeth, which was the big company at that time, it's now called Pfizer, went to the Reagan White House and to the Democrats in Congress, including my uncle, Senator Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, who was chair of the health committee at that time. And they said, we are paying $20 in downstream liability for every dollar that we bring in in sales and we're losing our shirts on vaccine and we're going to stop making all vaccines unless you give us immunity from liability. And what my uncle said and what Reagan said to him at that time, why don't you make the vaccine safe? And they, and what they said is, and there's a quote, vaccines cannot be made safe. They are unavoidably unsafe. No matter what we do, we are going to kill and injure a certain number of children. And when they passed this statute in 1986, in the preamble of the statute, it said vaccines are, quote, unavoidably unsafe. And that's what the Supreme Court Brucewitz case said when that court found, upheld the statute. The statute gave them immunity from liability, and suddenly the All the vaccine makers, there's four of them, Sanofi, Merck, Glaxo, SmithKline, and Pfizer. They looked around at these new landscapes, and they said, holy cow, now we have a product. We don't have the safety test. That saves $200 million up front. And there's no downstream liability, which is the biggest cost for every medication. This is gonna be like printing money. So there was a gold rush onto CDC. And we went from the 11 vaccines that we had by 1986, it was three when I was a kid, it was 11 by 86, to the 72 that we have today. Very quickly, the big change happened in 1989. And what else happened in 1989? We suddenly had an explosion of chronic disease. But for those of you who are my age, I had 11 brothers and sisters. I never knew anybody with food allergies, peanut allergies. All of my kids have allergies, or eczema, or asthma. I didn't know anybody with those injuries. We didn't know people, we, you know, I probably had ADHD, but it wasn't common like it is today. Hey, a squirrel. <laughs> you got it too. So, um, and then autoimmune diseases were unknown. I never knew anybody with rheumatoid arthritis, or juvenile diabetes, or lupus, or Crohn's disease, or Graves' disease, or any of these other... In 1989, those diseases exploded. In fact, Congress said to EPA, tell us what year the autism epidemic began. And EPA came back and said, it's a red line, 1989. About 300 different diseases began, became epidemic in 1989. The allergic diseases like peanut allergies, food allergies, eczema, asthma, anaphylaxis, neurodevelopmental diseases, ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, ticks. I never heard of ticks. Tourette syndrome, never heard of it. Narcolepsy, never heard of it. ASD and autism. Autism went from 1 in 10,000 people in my generation to 1 in every 34 kids today. 1 in every 22 boys born in America now has autism. And, And by the way, you know, CDC used to say in the industry, well, we're just noticing it more. No. Missing autism is like missing a train wreck. And by the way, I grew up in Special Olympics. My family was on the cutting edge, the spear tip, of the movement for civil rights for people with intellectual disabilities. When I grew up, they were warehoused and treated with shame, and my aunt, Eunice Shriver, those, because of her and because of my uncle, President Kennedy, all of those institutions were closed down, and, we, and those people who were locked there who have intellectual disabilities were given the rights of human beings. I on, I on. in 1964, started Camp Shriver, and I worked in there from when I was eight years old, um, until well, I worked there my whole life. But I, I would go and work as a hugger and a coach on the weekend. She was seven minutes from our house in Bethesda in Rockville, Maryland, and she turned that into Special Olympics, the year that my dad was killed in 1968. I worked, or because of our, my family's legacy with intellectual disabilities, I spent 200 hours at Wasaic Home for the retarded. When I was in high school, I never saw a child with autism. We never saw anybody in Special Olympics with autism. And by the way, we prided ourselves on being able to accommodate every child, even children who were essentially in a vegetative state. We had games that we had devised for them to put them on a, on a seat and let them push a beanbag onto the floor, and everybody would cheer. We never saw a child with autism. We couldn't have handled it. The violence, the kicking, the biting on um, the kids with headbanging. And, you know, the the terrible, debilitating gut aches. We never saw children like that. those kids finally appeared around 1995. They were injured in 89, beginning in 89, from the mercury and the aluminum and vaccines, and they began appearing in the mid-90s. And, you know, to this day, I have never met anybody with full-blown autism my age. If autism was always with us, where are all the 66-year-old men with diapers and football helmets, walking around the mall, head-banging, nonverbal, non-toilet train, stimming? You will never see somebody like that. Mm. They're all of our children. And by the way, genes do not cause epidemics. You need an environmental toxin. <laughs> Tony Fauci's job by the way, all of these diseases that suddenly became epidemic in 1989, all of, every one of them, all of the diseases I mentioned to you, they are all listed on the manufacturer's inserts for those 72 vaccines as vaccine side effects, every one of them. Why are they listed there? Because the only way that you can sue a vaccine company under VICA is if you can show that they knew of an injury and they failed to list it on their manufacturer's insert, so they list autism. They say it doesn't happen. But where it really counts, they write it down, because they know it. They know the connection is there, and they know they don't want to get sued. And so these companies went from making $100 million a year selling vaccines when I was a kid to making $60 billion today, plus, 48 billion dollars that Anthony Fauci has committed to his COVID enterprise. But they are making 500 billion, selling the EpiPens, the albuterol inhalers, the Adderall, the Ritalin, the anti-seizure medication, the Prozac, all of the medications that are required to treat the chronic diseases that they cause with their vaccines. Yeah. Well, if you, got, if you got measles, I got measles when I was a kid. I am a measles survivor. It's a miracle. <laughs> and There were nine of us who got it at the same time. And it was a week off of school and watching TV and having fun. And the, the, what is the cure for measles, the treatment? Vitamin A and chicken soup. You can't patent either one of them. But if you 1 in three or 400 kids get seizure on that vaccine, now you've got a lifetime customer. Every disease, every one of these childhood diseases are, are rashes. Mumps, measles, pertussis, um, uh, chickenpox that are treated by these vaccines are all self-limiting. They're all treatable. None of the chronic diseases that are caused by vaccines are curable. They're all lifetime addictions to EpiPens to help uterol and all this and it's, and that's where they're making all their money. You may say to me, well, these companies, they wouldn't do that. These are the same companies that gave us the opioid crisis. They're killing 56,000 children a, a year. More children than were killed, more kids, American kids than were killed in the entire 20 year Vietnam War. These four companies are serial convicted felons. And since 2009, those four companies have paid $35 billion in criminal penalties and damages for defrauding regulators, for falsifying science, for lying to doctors, for cheating, for for bribing and blackmailing doctors, and for killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. Vioxx alone, which was Merck's blockbuster drug before it gave us Gardasil in 2006, and that drug killed between 120,000 and 500,000 Americans. He, Merck hold, sold that truck to people saying it was a headache remedy and, I, and, it, and it stopped joint pain and arthritis. They didn't tell them that it also caused heart attacks. They knew that from their clinical trials. And when we sued Merck, we got the spreadsheets where they say on the spreadsheet, their bean counters told them, We are going to kill so many people, but it's okay we're going to sell so much of this stuff. That even if we have to pay them all off, we're still going to make money. Doesn't it require a kind of cognitive dissonance for us to believe that that company, the only, that, that, that those companies who lie and cheat and steal and murder with every one of their products is not doing it with vaccines? Which, by the way, is the only product where they can never get caught. All of those other lawsuits that were brought against them, why did they get brought? Because private plaintiffs' attorneys, people like my friend Ray Flores here, who's in the audience. Ray, raise your hand, because he's one of the great guys. And these, These attorneys sued the company for injuring their client with one of their drugs and during the course of discovery discovered documents that showed criminal behavior by those companies and they walked those documents down to the u.s attorney's office and said you should prosecute them criminally that's how they got busted that could never happen with vaccines because you can't sue them there's no discovery there's no depositions it is a it's the perfect product for them your business plan is to give it to every kid, have the government pay for it, $60 billion, make everybody sick, and then sell them the chronic disease medications for the rest of their life. And Tony Fauci started running that agency, NIOD, in 1984, two years before the Vaccine Act. And that year, the number of children in America who had chronic disease was 10%. By 86, it was 12.8%. In 1940, it was 6%. by 86, we had 11 vaccines, and it had doubled. By 2006, under his watch, it went to 54%. And I will tell you this, that every child is damaged. 54%, those are the kids who made insurance claims. What about the kids who lost IQ? One or two points. Who are depressed, who are not functioning, who can't, who, ha- who are socially awkward. All of these injuries that are invisible from the vaccines. And we know, you know, if you've ever compared an unvaccinated kid to a vaccinated kid you see the bright eyes, and the engagement, and the social interactions, and the curiosity, and the, and the affection, and, a, and, and, and you compare them. A child even had one or two vaccines, and they're completely different. And those injuries don't get measured. They're just a blight on, on this, and they poisoned an entire generation of American children. And, you know, that's why it's important that this church is open today. Because, I mean, you know, people get subsumed in the orthodoxy. What Tony Fauci is, is, he is, he is, he is not a scientist. He's a high priest of a religion. And you have to embrace with blind faith, that the heretics have to be silenced, they have to be burned at the stake. They cannot be listened to because what they're saying is dangerous. And what he is doing is evil, and we need a spiritual fire to overcome what he is doing to our country. Can I, yeah. no, no, I, I got this.
0: I, yeah, that's precious. Thank you. You, you. you brought that to a place where it, it, it hit a chord in all these hearts. And you come from a family of 11 kids, you have seven yourself. You describe what's happened to an entire generation We've heard you, Dr. Judy, speak about what they've done, and many of us are aware that even with the vaccines themselves, for us, which is unconscionable, they use fetal tissue. To what extent the idea is they dismiss you, and they gas lamp you, and they tell you that you don't know what you're talking about. But the more we do our studies, and it used to be we're on the fringe, but now you see rooms getting filled because we're starting to realize we've been duped. What I wanted to To point out and and ask if you guys wanted to elaborate on, is you brought in a metaphysical declaration. We're talking about good and evil. Our children, from our perspective, we're stewards of their lives or gifts from God, and we're accountable to Him. And governments, from our perspective, are judged. And how we treat humanity, we're accountable to Him and accountable to each other and we want as much freedom as possible as long as we're treating one another well. But when you put that much power in the hands of an individual, and you watch the devastation, and they control the narrative, I bet you a lot of folks here and, and viewing don't realize you're a Harvard graduate and uh, law school as well. Can you? Because people are thinking he's just a good looking guy. No, he's, he's got an amazing background. You've heard Dr. Judy's background. Uh, And actually, your voice, interestingly enough, is our our old pastor, Brett Schellenberger, had the same vocal cord kind of, it's, I just want everyone to know, he's not like sick or upset, this is, this is a gift from God, because everything he's saying, you better
2: lean in and get it all, amen? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you something about my voice, I had, um, I had a very, very strong voice. And I had that until I was 42 years old. In 1996, I lost that voice, and I got a disease that's a neurological disorder called spasmodic dystonia. That's what Brett had, yeah. And um, people, doctors for many years have said to me, did you have a trauma that year, you know, or or when you got it? And I was like, you know, my life is trauma. I have no... (laughs) um, I have no idea whether something happened. But then... Um, I was preparing a lawsuit recently against, um, against all four of the vaccine companies, and, and one of the things I had to do was to write down all the side effects that are listed on the manufacturer's insert. There's four, over 400 of them. And when I got to the flu vaccine, one of the top things on it was spasmodic dystonia. In 1996, I was teaching at Pace Law School, where I taught for 30 years, and the, the infirmary, infirmary was right next to my office, and every year when they announced that they had the new flu vaccines, I would go get the shot. And so I got that shot, and I probably got this because of that vaccine. Um, but I didn't realize that until a couple of um, Months ago, I want to say one thing about what you said, Rob. I don't want to dominate because this woman is... I don't need to Q talk. <laughs> you talked about the ability of a medical cartel to control the narrative. And this is what um, Dr. Fauci is, I think, has really done to this country that people don't understand, and to the world. His agency, NIAID, I'll call it the National Institute for Allergic Infection Diseases. It was a backwater when he came in there in 1986. Why? Because infectious disease mortalities had virtually disappeared in our country. And not because of vaccines. CDC made a study to figure out what had, you know, all these hundreds of thousands of deaths we used to get in our country from measles, from peripheral fever, Pertussis whooping cough, from um, from all of these, from scurvy, scarlet fever, which I had as a kid and doesn't exist anymore. And by the way, there's no vaccine for scurvy or for scarlet fever. And what CDC found out, they did a study, it's called Geyer as the author, which they published in 2000 with Johns Hopkins, G U I E R, you can look it up. In the journal they published it in was Pediatrics, and they said that. All, you know, because you've often heard, well, vaccines uh, save millions of lives. A CDC found out when they actually studied the issue, and anybody can look this up, and I urge you to do so, is that vaccines had virtually nothing to do with the disappearance of those mortalities. It was altogether to do with engineering and nutrition, with clean water, chlorinated water, electric refrigerators. Um, and, uh, and, and good nutrition, people getting oranges and getting, you know, the food programs and these kind of things. So, um, Tony Fauci, when he came in in 1984, really didn't have that much to do. And, there, and the, the number of allergic and autoimmune diseases, his expertise is autoimmune diseases were null at that time. It was around 10%. Uh, And so, pandemics was kind of a way of him keeping that agency relevant. But his job is to find out what's causing allergic autoimmune diseases, to do basic research on them and find out why did autism go from 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 34. It's an easy thing. There's a doctor called Phil Landrigan, who I've used in a lot of my cases. He's the most famous toxicologist in the country. And he said, essentially, there's 11 things it could be. The the timing is right. It has to be environmental. Genes do not cause epidemics. What is... You have to find a very particular toxin that beginning in 1989 was that the entire population was exposed to, from Cubans in Key Biscayne, Miami, to Inuit Indians in Alaska. And it all happened at once. There's only a few things like that. There's glyphosate from Roundup. There's neonicotoid pesticides, which became ubiquitous in that period. Um, There are um, ultrasound, PFOAs, which are flame retardants, which became ubiquitous, cell phones and cell phone technologies. And he listed, I think, 11 of them. Oh, it's an easy thing for Tony Fauci to do, to go do the epidemiological studies, and you find people who were not exposed to those things, like the Amish, who don't take vaccines, or, the communities that don't have cell phone service or whatever, and you compare and you do a placebo-controlled study, or a retrospective study, and you can easily find out the answers. He has never done a single one of those studies during the 50 years that he has spent there. And incidentally, this is a footnote, how does a man last at a public health agency for 50 years? How did he become the J. Edgar Hoover of public health? J. Edgar Hoover stayed there by making friends with organized crime and, you know, and blackmailing and bribing people. How did he stay? You look at anybody in his agency who took a side against pharma at any point in their career, and their career ended there. Bernice Eddy, who was one of the great heroes of public health who found contamination in the polio vaccine, career over. John Anthony Morris, NIH, who found contamination, and he found that the flu vaccines were a hoax, they don't work, they kill people. He key and barre He talked about it, his career was over. Bartholomew classen who did the largest epidemiological studies in history and found that the HIP vaccine and the hepatitis B vaccine We're causing the diabetes epidemic, career over. Judy Mikovits, who found XMRV viruses in many of the vaccines, the polios and the others, career over, office locked, police chasing you. That's what happens at NIH if you stand up to pharma. How did he stay there for 50 years? By being in the tank with pharma and turning that agency from a public health agency to an incubator for pharmaceutical drugs. Oh, he now has a $6 billion budget. And what does he do with that money? Does he study public health? No. Never. In addition to that, he has $1.6 billion from the military. And that is a very sinister relationship between him and the military. DARPA. And then he coordinates his giving with Bill Gates, who's the other big funder in the world, and with the four pharmaceutical companies. And they all do it together. And what can he do with that money? I'll tell you what he does. He's created an army of what he calls principal investigators, or PIs. These are the doctors and scientists who get grants from his agency every year, and they, Run the departments in your local hospital. And they conduct clinical studies for him. And he gives them a clinical study, and they enroll patients to test his new drugs. And each patient, that PI would get $15,000 for it half of that money is skimmed off by your local hospital or by the university medical school. That's how they stay in business, by skimming off that money from Anthony Fauci's grants. And they completely rely on his grants every year. Every medical school in this country, every one of these local hospitals is taking money from it, and the people who are taking it are the heads of the department. So, when... If there is a scientist who says, I got a great idea. I'm going to try to study the links between vaccines and autism. Nobody's ever done it before. What do you think is going to happen to that guy?
0: Hey, where did he go? Did
2: anyone see him? Number one, he's not going to get any funding. Number two... The head of his department at the medical school is going to get a call saying, you stop that maniac, or we are going to ruin your whole program and we're going to shut down your university. He can ruin any scientist on earth. He has 10,000 of these PIs all around. You know, when you look at CNN and you see a doctor come on and they look like an independent doctor, they're not. They're one of his PIs, Paul Offit is his PI. Peter Hotez, Ian Lipkin, Art Kaplan. These are all the people you see every day on CNN pretending to be independent scientists. He keeps saying, well, you know, after we get the vaccine through this process, we're sending it to an independent committee. It's called the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices at CDC. You know who virtually all the members of that committee are? are his PIs. They send it to FDA's committee, VERPAC. All of those guys are his PIs. There's a data, data monitoring review board that decides which of the vaccines gets in line first, second, and third. It's no coincidence that his vaccines are first, second, and third because he chose all the guys on that committee and they're all his PIs. You know, for many, many years... And he can dictate the narrative all over the country. So for many years, I was making a lot of money giving speeches. I was running one of the biggest, the biggest water protection group in the world, Waterkeeper Alliance, which I founded and then acted as president of for many years. And I was getting 60 paid speeches a year from universities and some from corporations. I was doing about 240 speeches a year and I was making money on a lot of them. And when I started doing the vaccine work, all of my speeches got canceled. And my speakers bureau would say, the University of Kansas, just cancel your speech. And i said, say, why? why? We had a contract. They said they got calls from the local hospital, from the local health um, uh, departments, from all of these. Those are all Fauci's PIs. When you see a guy like Ken Stoller in this state or Bob Sears being investigated by the medical board, who's on that medical board? Who's going to take the license away from these doctors who are the only doctors in this state who will treat vaccine injuries? It's Tony Fauci's PI. So he is the most powerful man ever in public health and he can control the entire narrative from where he is. And he looks like this sweet old guy, avuncular guy, but you know, you have to ask yourself, how did he last there for so long? And how does he get away with the stuff that he does? Saying in March, masks don't work, they're garbage. And in April, everybody's gotta wear them. And, oh, I, if I, he says, if, if I were sick, I would take hydroxychloroquine. And then a month later, nobody's allowed to take it. And all this other crazy stuff that he gets away with, of you know, remdesivir, which is absolutely worthless, making that standard of care and killing people. Prolonging this pandemic, I'm making sure that we do not, he has spent $48 billion on vaccines. How much has he spent on antivirals? 1.48. And almost all of that went to remdesivir, for $1.48 billion. His drug that he developed with the Chinese and Bill Gates. It doesn't work, but he made that the standard of care. And the, the off-patent drugs that were threatening vaccines, if, if hydroxychloroquine works, which it does, and if ivermectin works, which it definitely does, he legally cannot get emergency use authorization for any vaccines because if there's an approved drug that works against it, you cannot get emergency use authorization. So he had to kill hydroxychloroquine. He had to kill ivermectin. And why is it that the Amer- America, which has supposedly the best healthcare system in the world, has the worst health outcomes from this pandemic? Because we have a maniac who is prolonging the pandemic by by ending the accessibility of drugs that could actually save people's lives. Funnel us all into that chute, into the slaughterhouse you know, of, of his vaccines, and I don't know whether the vaccines are gonna end up good or bad. You have to look at each one individually, but I can tell you there are remedies out there that we ought to be using and we ought to be getting to people these hydrocortical steroids, Pepsid, um, um, the prednisone,
0: is what I use. Yeah,
2: and, I survived. and all of these other ones that were. And we ought to be telling Black Americans: you need to load up on ten thousand units of vitamin D a day. Yeah. And and all these other you know things that we should be doing to protect public health instead. Of, he has turned that agency into an incubator for the pharmaceutical industry so that between 2009 and 2016, virtually every drug that was approved by FDA came out of his shop. And it comes out of his shop, and he's allowed to get the patent on it. And NIAD owns, I think, 2,200 patents. He owns patents himself. He can collect $150,000 a year on every patent he owns from every drug that he's worked on and the people who work for him he has six employees at NIAID who are each filed patents for the Moderna vaccine so if these are his buddies who are now getting $150,000 payoffs from Moderna and they're the ones who are supposed to be regulating the industry but they're making money on it
0: the foxes it, it are watching make the hen much house. Sense. yeah garden it
2: I, I, I
0: was intrigued because in the green room, he said, what's going to be the format? And, and I said, well, we can do an opening statement. He goes, no, no, uh, questions would be better. I asked him one question, and he gave an opening statement. I loved it. it everything you shared, so blessed everybody. Amen? And I'm, I'm Dr. Judy, I, I have the view. I'm looking at you, and you're just mesmerized. And this is stuff, when when Bobby was commenting about these pharmaceutical, big pharma companies, they're felons. And, and then he talked about anyone who stands in opposition to Fauci gets annihilated or, you know, their entire career destroyed. You know, people are going to dismiss you being here, and they're going to label you from whatever the narrative is. But tell the truth what happened so that the folks know what, what, what Bobby was describing that Fauci does. Tell them how he did that to you.
1: Well, we, um, I mean, all the way back in 1984, um, he, when we were um, looking at the AIDS epidemic and trying to associate it with a, a virus called HIV, um, he wanted credit for that, and I worked for the National Cancer Institute, and I was a lab technician, and my boss, who had done all the work, was out of town. So he called up with, the head of, with one of the heads of the NCI, Rob, Robert Gallo, they got on the phone to me, and I'm maybe 20, I'm 25 years old. It's 1984, and he's screaming on the phone. um, You know, Do you have a paper about the isolation and the the confirmation of Luc Montagnier's um, study uh, a year or so earlier? It's that confirmation study that is critical to showing that you could isolate the same virus from a sick person, a person with the same disease. It starts to start satisfying Koch's postulates. So I'm a technician, and I said yes. We, ha- I have the paper, it's, there's no such thing as internet, so it's a paper copy, uh, and he said, give us a copy, and I said, no, thank you, I can't do that, it's unethical, and he said, I'll have your job, and I'm, <laughs> I, I probably uttered a few explet- expletives, <laughs> but I'm, I do not care. We'll forgive you. I, I didn't, I didn't care, because, um. I just lost an earlier job, a year or so earlier, I was riffed by um, President Ronald Reagan who was going to reduce the size of the federal government and I had spoken out about doing large scale production of the first disease causing human retrovirus that caused cancer and literally manufacturing it in, in a plant with pregnant women when we didn't know anything about the safety protocol, the aerosolization, nothing else, I'm using a huge centrifuge called a K centrifuge, which aerosolizes things. And I'm like, no, can't do that. We wrote a letter to the Washington Post, and you know, Bob Gallo and Tony Fauci are like, send us the virus, send us the material. We're just kids, we're hired guns. And so we said, no, we can't do that. That's unethical. And, back, and, and I lost my job. Three weeks later, you know, a year later, I'm working for Dr. Rossetti. We confirm Luc Montagnier's work. We isolate this virus from the saliva and blood of men with the disease, uh, the same men that, that Luc Montagnier had. And, and Tony Fauci couldn't do it because they had fired Frank Rossetti with Bob Gallo for getting too much credit. So he gets on the phone, and he screams at me, and Frank Rossetti's out of town, and I'm not an author on the paper, because I don't have a PhD, I'm a technician, you can't author a paper then, and I said, no, it's unethical, and so he screamed at me, oh, I'll have your job, and I literally put it on speakerphone, and all the technicians could hear it in the lunchroom, and I, you know, and Dr. Rossetti came back to town, and, and um, said, you did that for me, and I said, no, I didn't do it for you. I did it because it was the right thing to do. So they eventually co-opted the virus, and, and co-opted the paper and learned how to do it and then stole it basically from the National Cancer Institute and started the funding that Bobby just talked about. So now they've got a virus. They've never made drugs before. We made the drugs in the National Cancer Institute. He did the same thing with AZT. He used it at toxic doses. It used to be a cancer drug for leukemias. So it would just break up the DNA so that the virus couldn't replicate and the cells would just die. So he used it at high doses. He stopped safety drugs like just like he's doing now. He started it in 1984. So spin forward 2009. We isolate a new family of disease-causing retroviruses strongly associated with autism, with myalgic encephalomyelitis, inflammation of the brain and spinal cord, aggressive cancers in, in blacks, particularly in Hispanics, because they didn't have the immune system to degrade the viruses. So I was one of those PIs, Bobby, I was one of those PIs, and he simply took away all the funding from my institution, which was a three-person private institution. Um, uh, The people that started it had a sick daughter. And their daughter got sick from the virus, and she's well because she got the drugs denied these people. Well, they let these—they called these women crazy. Said they—they didn't have any kind of disease. That they were just—they called it chronic fatigue syndrome. And you know, in America in the 80s and 90s, nothing worse than being tired. We worked 24/7. We were athletes. You know, you can't be tired. Oh, you're lazy. As you wrote in the forward of of um, of Plague of Corruption, a brilliant forward Bobby wrote for the forward. Um, um, you know it was like they oh women were becoming ceos of companies oh they just can't take a man's world i mean talk misogyny you know so you know I, i'm trying to keep my words clean here <laughs> so, I, I know susan wherever you are <laughs> so, tell me anyway, what you want to so, say and i'll say it so well and so i'm, I'm here so in 2009, we published the paper to great fanfare. We satisfy co-postulates. We isolate the virus. We show the people who are infected. And in the next year or so, as the study goes on, the, the National Cancer Institute has a special meeting, invitation-only meeting, four months to p- before the paper's published, and they're not gonna lose another virus. They're not gonna lose a bunch of money. They're not gonna lose the credit. So they hold this invitation-only meeting and basically say, Oh my God, you mean all those viruses, all those sequences we saw in the 80s were real, contaminating any time you grow a vaccine, a live viral vaccine in an animal animal cell, whether it be chicken, monkey, Cat, mouse, bird, dog, cow, oh, my God, pig, everything that's in those shots. They're the manufacturing plants, the cell lines. You forgot, ab- that
0: you forgot bats.
1: The, yes, and the aborted fetal tissue. Yes, Bass. <laughs> we did the bass anyway. The aborted fetal tissue. So somehow Francis Collins said, no, it's no problem, just two weeks ago. It's no problem to have the aborted fetal tissue. Those are cell lines we made in the, in the 60s. Yeah, 62, 63, you know how long they've been in in our labs contaminated? Do you know how many bat viruses are in the Vero monkey kidney cells that are in your polio vaccines? That's where you're manufactured. You know, why did Tony Fauci get those Vero monkey kidney cells from Fort Detrick and send them over to China? Everybody told me, Dr. Mikovits, you can just buy those at ATCC because there are repositories of clean cell lines. Well, he couldn't do that because you wouldn't have all those coronaviruses in those. We'd been, we'd been isolating those things. They were contaminated with XMRVs. They went right to China, and they'll just keep pulling out the strain toujours until we stop this plague of corruption that is COVID-19. Never another flu shot, never another shot, not anything, no masks. And you'll see healthy people walking around just like, and no test. You know, nobody here is sick, just like Rob, you know, said three weeks ago. You know, yeah, we might sniffle, sniffle, cough, cough, but don't get a test and there's no COVID in this place. And that's the way, you know, because it's... A- <laughs> So yes, he destroyed my career. He, I'm, my my employers were embezzling money. They misappropriated those federal funds and put an unvalidated diagnostic test out. So I was fired September 29, 2011, the day before the end of the fiscal year and they just rewrote history. They thought they locked down everything in my lab, but they didn't count on my very sweet, angry postdoc who wasn't gonna let his work get stolen or the lies. So he really saved the data and um, Bobby forgot to mention that who is Tony Fauci's wife. Oh, she's the head of the um, Institutional Review Board, Human Safety. She's the one decides it's okay to give these things um, to little children untested. I thought
0: thought just the Kennedys kept it all in the family. I'm just kidding. That was a joke.
1: So this, and so... Go ahead. I'm sorry. So, I mean, I, and, you know, really thank God, and, and, I, and I, I talk about the book of Daniel, because that's where we are right now. We're in Babylon. And, and how do we thrive in Babylon? I wish I'd learned to say, yes, my Lord, instead of kiss my whatever. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, you know, th- that's what we don't, we don't. And, and how did um, Daniel and Shadmak, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, win? They went through the fire. Um, well, they refused to eat their food. You know, they refused, we won't ingest and we won't inject and we'll prove to you, you we're as healthy as you are and we won't wear your mask and, and, and we won't, we, we trust we are God-given immune system and we're wonderfully and fearfully made.
2: we take questions.
0: Uh, we're gonna take questions now and I, I understand we've got quite a few of them. Um, and, and as we prepare for that, let me just say this, that um, you're, you're canceled by Fauci, as, as Bobby pointed out in, in their attempt. And then here, the, the most iconic, and I, and I made light of it, but really the most iconic family in America. And this family has suffered for the sake of the nation. And regardless of your political beliefs, that's the reality. And, and as, as you see this, and he's, he's embraced by America when he contends with certain aspects, but the power of going after Big Pharma is probably one of the most iconic names and iconic people in America, you know, they'll, they'll shut the video down. But the power is you're not just a name, you are an educated attorney. Uh, He's a pit bull. And and I'm grateful for that because he is taking this fight. And I'm going to say to Christendom, specifically Protestant Christendom, Catholics have educated their children to put them in the public square, the ecclesia. Law degrees, engaging in the political process. Every member of the, this iconic family, in some capacity, have served their nation. And I would say for all of us, educate our children so that they can contend for the voiceless. This is a profound man and woman who have used, in their, used their knowledge to engage the public square. And we're here tonight because they're defending this freedom. Thank you. Thank you.
3: You had some great questions, so I'm gonna lump them, paraphrase them, and try to throw them up there. There, one there was time.
0: at earlier point there was over 50 questions, so we we've got 50
3: minutes, and I asked him one question, so you'll see. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, there's a question that uh, last a uh, couple of days ago. They're re- requiring the vaccine in LA school district before they can go back to school, so what is the requirement or how do you address the requirement of required vaccines at the schools and secondary at workplaces that possibly are gonna require a vaccine?
0: I think that's an attorney question.
3: Yes.
2: I don't know know that they're requiring it yet. I don't think they are. I I know that, under the emergency use authorization, that it technically is illegal for them to require it. It's an, emer- it's an e- um, it's emergency use. I mean, Ray Flores is here. Is that your understanding too? That's correct. Yeah. We can't, I don't, can I may I don't. Can Mad,
0: Mad publicly apologize to him because my job was to protect and <laughs> know what we we're going to do, and he came up wanting to talk to him, and I thought he was another person coming to give their dissertation. <laughs> Forgive me. He, he's he a pit bull, also. He's a fixed
2: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're legally allowed to require it.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, uh, this is more for Judy. Can you please explain the sinister deception surrounding vaccination specifically on black American baby boys? That was profound when you said that. Oh, uh, Say it again. It's the, the, this is, can you please explain the sinister deception surrounding vaccination specifically on black American baby boys?
2: Well, there's a—I'm not sure what that means—but I um, there's a study that was done by CDC. CDC did a study in '95. There was an explosion of autism within CDC. They believed that it was coming from the vaccines, or that it could be, and they did an internal study. And they brought in a guy called Thomas Verstraten, who was a a Belgian researcher, epidemiologist, and they allowed him access to the Vaccine Safety Data Link, which is the biggest repository for vaccine information in the world. It has all of the, for the top nine HMOs, it has the medical records for nine million people, including all of their vaccine records down to batch and lot number, and all of their medical claims. And so you can look in that VSD, and you can find the answer to any question you want by doing a cluster analysis. So they have no excuse for not doing these studies, because they have all the data they need to tell which of these injuries is being caused by the vaccine, but they won't let anybody in there. And they let in this team of epidemiologists, an in-house team of three epidemiologists, including the head of the vaccine branch, Frank DeSteveno, because they really were curious. They wanted to know if it was the mercury. They thought it was the mercury in the vaccines that was causing autism. And they looked at children who received the hepatitis B vaccine during the first 30 days of life. And they compared it to a couple hundred thousand children who did not who receive it, received it later or not at all. And when they first ran the data, the first number that came back was 1135% greater chance of getting an autism diagnosis if you got that vaccine in the first 30 days of life. And They knew right then what was causing the autism epidemic. Just for, that's called a relative risk of 11.35, The relative risk for smoking a pack of cigarettes a day for 10, 20 years and getting lung cancer is 10. A relative risk of two is considered causation as long as there's biological plausibility. But So they knew at that time beyond any shadow of any doubt that they were causing the autism epidemic and they had an emergency secret meeting off CDC campus, because they didn't want it to be um, susceptible of freedom information requests. And they got all the vaccine companies and all the big PIs. They got 52 people and all the people from the agencies. And they hid out for two days in a Methodist retreat center on the wooded banks of the Chattahoochee River in Norcross, Georgia. It's called Simpsonwood Retreat House. And for the first day, they talked about how definitive the study was, and they recognized that they had caused autism epidemic. The second day, they talk about how they're going to hide it from the American people. And what they decided to do was to... They thought they could not look at American data anymore, so they went to Denmark, and there was an anomaly over there that allowed them to cheat. Uh, they thought, And they were looking at the thimerosal vaccine, the mercury vaccine, but they thought that the MMR vaccine was clean because it didn't have mercury in it. And they knew that a lot of mothers believed the MMR vaccine was causing autism. And they believed that by studying the MMR vaccine alone, isolating it from the other vaccines and studying it alone, they could exonerate that vaccine then they could use that to exonerate all the vaccines. So they did a study where they just isolated the MMR vaccine and they looked at children in Georgia, which is where CDC's headquarters, and they had five scientists on it who were their top scientists. And what they found was when the data came back is they found that children who got the MMR vaccine, black boys, who got the MMR vaccine on time, which means under 36 months of age, under three years, had 336% higher chance of getting autism diagnosis than black boys and children who did not get it on time. And why do black boys, why are they susceptible? As it turns out, blacks have a much more robust immune system than whites. We now know this because there's a guy called Andrew Pollard who's on their side, and he works for the Mayo Clinic, and he's done these studies, and what he's found out is that blacks only need half of the antigen that whites do. So if you're trying to immunize black from measles, if you're trying to immunize a white person, you need to give a certain amount of the measles virus to them the dead virus or the live virus. For a black, they'll get the same immune response if they get half that amount. What does that mean? That means if you double what they need, you're going to push their their immune system over the cliff and you're going to get an autoimmune reaction because it's going to hype it, it's going to supercharge it and the body of those black boys is going to begin to attack their own body thinking that it is a foreign invader and that's what happened and 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 now we know that you know we should not be giving black people the same vaccine schedule that's given to whites because their immune system is better than ours and because it's better, because it's more robust, it has a much more supercharged response, and the, uh, the, the vaccines that we're giving them are, are overloading them and causing autoimmunity. Did you want to add to that,
0: Dr. Yeah, it's Judy? just,
1: a, he got it perfect. It's a scientific term called patho, pathogenic priming or antibody-dependent enhancement. So who's going to get killed with the COVID-19 vaccine? Another RNA viruses. So they don't degrade RNA viruses as as quickly. So they make more antibodies because they're used to more um, uh, different types of pathogens, not these types of viruses. So they don't degrade RNA viruses as quickly. So you're going to get antibody-dependent enhancement, pathogenic priming with any RNA Viral vaccines, MMR are three RNA viruses, so they're set up so their immune system is on fire, and, and they literally destroy their own tissue. So now the government is saying, who's going to get, you know, the vaccines? Oh, we really care about you, the, the racial minorities, Hispanics and blacks, because we're going to put you in the front of the line um, for, um, for the COVID-19, and I won't call it a vaccine. That's another reason they can't mandate it. It's a toxic shot. Doesn't, doesn't do anything to enhance immunity and does not prevent transmission. So there is no vaccine available for COVID 19, so there is no mandate. And that's exactly what's going to happen now because we see how history's playing out. Viruses don't know you're a black man, a white man, an IV drug user, a prostitute, whatever, you know, just as we've been fed a narrative. It's the immune system, and that's all we look at is the immune system, and they know who's going to get more injured, just as Bobby said. Thank you.
3: My, Micah just reminded me, we have over 1,000 people online right now, and he's really concerned that we're going to get polled soon. So <laughs> if you're watching online, he's posting it on Rumble, and just search for Godspeak, and you'll find it there. Because... And, then,
0: and then we'll rebroadcast it on Vimeo, so don't yeah. worry. We're
3: so,
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so with that in mind, no, uh, can you comment on uh, on Vimeo. Uh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. We're listening. <laughs> no, I can do two things uh, okay, at once. Okay, I know you can. <laughs> With that in mind, can you comment on censorship and getting your message out and today's environment? Is this going to continue to be pulled? How do we get the message out if this there's This is censorship? their question or yours? This is a combination of three questions together. Okay. <laughs> So censorship. Uh, I,
0: mean,
2: speak I to think that. the most alarming thing to me about what's happening now is the censorship. I got removed three weeks ago from Instagram, which was kind of my biggest, um, uh, you know, my biggest group. I had, uh, I was, I was getting between, uh, I was getting 10,000 new followers um, every one to three days, and um, and even when they were throttling me. And they shut me down now, so, but they're, you know, they're shutting down everybody, and they're, they're, they're shutting you down. They say it's for, because of vaccine misinformation. Nobody has ever shown me a single statement that I've made that is erroneous. The term vaccine misinformation has nothing to do with truth or, you know, or falsehood. It has to do with, they use that term as a euphemism to describe any statement that departs from the official pronouncements. And so it's really, you know, we're living in a a really uh, Orwellian kind of Kafkaesque universe now. Um, where it has nothing to do with truth. It's just um, whatever the, uh, you know, the medical cartel wants, if you disagree with them, you are going to be silenced. You, um, no, nobody will debate you. Uh, you'll be put in a box. We, you know, our way around this right now is we have a, um, a journal, a daily journal called The Defender at Children's Health Defense, where we try to put on all the relevant news that people need to be reading, and you know, we, are, we are scrupulously fact-checked. We have scientists and doctors who are working for us who we'll make sure that everything we put on there is true and, and rigorously, rigorously fact-checked. So the, we're trying to weaponize information for our followers. You can go there because you know, there's a lot of rumors and there's a lot of conspiracy theorists on our side. And it's very important that when we talk about issues that um, that we're accurate and precise because they want to catch us in a lie. They want to catch us saying something that we we don't have the facts to support. We're trying to really um, serve that role for the entire community where people can go and look and say, you know, this is true and that they can count on it. Why are they censoring us? They're censoring us because censorship, freedom of speech, is the most important right. And by the way, when our forebears wrote the Constitution and gave us that right to freedom of speech, they weren't trying to protect popular speech. They weren't trying to protect speech that agreed with everybody that nobody would be in disagreement with. They were specifically trying to protect unpopular speech, and particularly speech that challenged the government. And That's what they were after. And in fact, all of the rights are given to us not so that, you know, for times, uh, for easy times, or times that are, you know, not in crisis. They're rights because they're rights during a crisis. And that's when they're important. We don't care if there's no crisis and nobody's trying to shut you up. The only time you need that right is when it is a crisis and people are trying to silence you. And the reason freedom of speech is so important is every tyrant knows this, and George Orwell said this, and Franz Kafka said this, and Aldous Huxley said this, And all of the people who were thinking about tyranny said this. That when a tyrant wants to to take away all your rights, the first thing he's got to do is take away freedom of speech. You know all the freedoms are under attack right now. The freedom of worship, they're shutting down churches, they're taking away exemptions, religious exemptions, which we've had for a hundred years. Property rights are under attack. They're shutting down businesses. They're, they're telling you the, the jury trial is under attack. They've banned jury trials if a vaccine company injures you. We have a Seventh Amendment right. It says no person may abridge the right of an American citizen to a trial by his peers in case there controversy exceeding $25. That's the Seventh Amendment of the Constitution gone we don't have a right to a jury trial if a vaccine company injures you your property rights are gone your due process rights are gone listen if somebody if if tony fauci can show that masks prevent transmission so when you use them your neighbor's not going to get sick and i would say you have a moral obligation to use that mask Tony Fauci never did that. Tony Fauci said in March, masks don't work. And in April, he said everybody's gotta wear them. He didn't cite a scientific study. Now, we have a process under the United States Constitution if government wants to pass a law. If there's an emergency, you can have an emergency proclamation for two weeks. Then you gotta do due process at some point. What does that look like? It's called notice and comment rulemaking. The, here's how it works. The government proposes the rule. They publish it. Here's the rule. And along with it, they publish an environmental impact statement, and a regulatory impact statement, and an economic impact statement saying, here's what the rule is gonna cost. Here's the cause it's going to impose. Here's the injury it's going to cause. Here are the bad things it's going to avert. And we believe it's important because it's going to avert more problems than it's going to cause. But they have to disclose it, and they can't just recite it. They have to show the scientific studies upon which they based it, a lot of studies and they have to disclose to you the scientific studies that don't agree with them. And and then there's a 60-day period called the comment period where anybody can write the comment and say, wait a minute, you didn't take into consideration the impacts this is going to have on my business. I operate a nail parlor or a restaurant or a bar or whatever. Here's what it's going to do to me, and here's how you could tailor that rule so it doesn't hurt me and still achieve what you want. And those comments have to be responded to, every one of them. Then you get a public hearing, and at the public hearing, Tony Fauci brings all of his scientists who wrote those studies, and they testify under oath, and we get a chance to cross-examine them. And and, and we bring our witnesses, and he gets to cross-examine them. None of that ever happened. That's all part of the guarantee of the Constitution. The only thing that happened in this case was Tony Fauci said, everybody wear a mask. And then a lot of people from my party, the Democrats, said, he's the expert. we got to trust the experts. Well, you know, I've been suing people for 40 years, big companies, and they always have a lot of experts. And I don't trust any of them. And they... Mike, my... I, you know, my wife, and she's an actress, and my wife came to, when we tried the Monsanto case, my wife wanted to see what the jury trial looked like, and she came in, and she sat for a day, and the day that she came there up to San Francisco, we won $2 billion in that case. She came in and sat in, And that was the day that Monsanto brought its witnesses. And it had a witness up there who was this very attractive, brilliant woman from Harvard University School of Public Health, and she spoke brilliantly. At the end of the day, my wife said to me, what are you even doing here? These people, clearly she knows what she's talking about. You know, you're, you're wrong. And I said, just wait. And then... She came the next day, which was cross-examination, and she was like, those freaking liars. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, There's no such thing as trusting the experts. There's different experts say different things. And, you know, my uncle, President Kennedy, had profound respect for expertise. When the Cuban Missile Crisis occurred, He assembled the 13 smartest people in the administration and out of it who were experts on the military, on the intelligence apparatus, on missiles, on everything, on foreign policy. In that room, there were only two men who said we should not bomb Castro and we should not invade Cuba. My father and Robert McNamara, everybody else in there wanted to invade or bomb. We now know. That the Russian missile emplacements were fully armed with hot warheads, and that the Russian gun commanders who were running each of those missile emplacements had an independent launch authority that they could launch those missiles if they felt themselves under attack without consulting any commander. If we had invaded them, there would have been a full-scale nuclear exchange. And we didn't know at that time about nuclear winter, but the only people that would have survived that would be South Sea Islanders who could survive on mollusks. The rest of us would all be dead. And the reason that didn't happen is because my uncle did not trust the experts. He believed them, he listened to them, and then he said, I want to see the aerial photos myself. And he talked to a lot of other people. And then he made up his mind about what's right for our country and right for humanity. Mm. And that never, you cannot turn government over to medical experts Amen. or war experts or anybody else. Um, I, we'll get to
0: the next question. I want to add, because I haven't been a contributor, I've just been <laughs> sitting here. I wanted to add that in regards to censorship, uh, I I gave a sermon on Sunday, and I read a text. And uh, somebody told me that one of the reporters, I don't know who it was, they they said, well, Rob did know somebody from the uh, breach of the Capitol, Dr. Simone Gold. Apparently, she was one listed. Well, the text I'm reading was Thursday morning. I'm just reading it. But had they come into the church and did their homework and investigated, they'd realize that that wasn't known until later. And, and I just think about the laziness of reporters and the willingness to just yield to the narrative instead of do your work and protect the American people. You have a question? We're
3: going to switch to always what we do with the oh, live real,
0: real quick, by the way, Simone Gold hasn't, there's no charges brought up or anything like that. She's just one of the people that was in there. Okay, where were
3: we? <laughs> you've, you've all dealt with the evils of big pharmaceuticals. Do you see any hope or any chink in the armor that you see going forward that there's a possibility that you uh, can start making an inroad to some change?
2: Well, you know, there, listen, we have, there's a lot, all of the major institutions of our society that are normally supposed to stand between a greedy corporation and vulnerable children have been, you know, abolished. The Congress has been completely co-opted by the vaccine companies—they're they, the, uh, the biggest lobbyists on Capitol Hill. Our pharmaceutical companies give twice to Congress what the next biggest industry, which is oil and gas. They own Congress. And they own both political parties. They have—they've um, have neutralized the press. We changed the law in this country in 1997 to allow to make this country only one of two countries in the world that allowed direct consumer advertising of pharmaceuticals. And it changed the entire dynamic of the news. So that, they, you know, they, the pharmaceutical companies are now, now own the news channels. They, uh, Anderson Cooper is sponsored by Pfizer, they brag about it. Lester Holt is sponsored by Merck. Uh, Roger Ailes, who is the head of Fox, Oh, man, I, I had this weird relationship with Roger Ailes because when I was 18 years old, I spent three months in a tent with him in Africa, and his child was, um, was vaccine-injured, and he was very sympathetic and wanted to put us on TV, but he, and he put me on for all the environmental issues and make Hannity and the other people on there put me on and talk, allow me to talk. But um, he said, I can't put you on on this issue because he said 70% of my advertising revenues during non-election years for the evening news is coming from pharmaceutical." He said, typically in the evening newscast, there were 22 uh, pharmace- 22 advertisement slots and 17 of those were pharma. And he said, if I let you on any of these shows, if any of my hosts let you on, I would have to fire them. And if I didn't, I would hear from Rupert within ten minutes. Oh, all of them have been completely neutralized because we changed that law in '97. The only other country that allows this to happen is New Zealand, and we have the highest. Um, you know, we take three more, three times more pharmaceuticals than anybody in the world. We play the highest prices for, and pharmaceutical drugs are now the third biggest killer of Americans after cancer and heart attacks. It hasn't made us healthier, it's made us... We are have the worst health outcomes of the 76 richest countries in the world. We have the worst health outcomes. The highest infant mortality rates, all of our health outcomes. And it's mainly because we have turned our country over to pharmaceutical advertisers and to Tony Fauci. And, and so, I'm all of the... And, and you know, the, the, the lawyers... Are mainly also sidelined in the judges because of the Vaccine Act. We have people like Ray Flores. Um, I talked to Ray almost every day about about how to figure out ways to sue people, and uh, and uh, and on the COVID vaccines and on the lockdowns and all this other stuff. And we're figuring out ways to do it group of about 25 lawyers from countries all over the world, and we meet together, and we conspire together, and we're on the phone and on secure lines every single day, looking at the evidence, looking at the science, talking to science and figuring out how to sue people. So uh, I do think we're going to figure out ways to do this. Um, And then we have... um, You know, I I have myself an entire team of attorneys at Children's Health Defense, and we have figured out ways now. We're suing on Gardasil. We're suing Merck. And, and, you know, the the plaintiff's bar, the plaintiff's bar, lawyers like me, have stayed out of this area since 2008. for, um, For 12 years, nobody's touched it, but... Um, but we now have figured out how to do it. And we are, we're past the motion to dismiss. We're in discovery. We are in Merck's today. We are in Merck's file cabinets and we're gonna destroy that company. And so yes.
3: Great answer.
0: Is, wait, wait, I wanted to say that uh, we, we try to figure out ways to sue people too. Uh, we just won with the judge here in Ventura County. A, t- a tentative ruling uh, to allow and amend our cross-complaint to add the governor and the state health officer as defendants. So we're going after them, too.
3: Go ahead. Sorry. From all the time that you spent uh, suing companies back to vaccines, is there anything unique like the... Uh, hydrogel or quantum dot being in this vaccine? Is there anything unique about this particular one that you're going to see it's even more problematic than the ones of the past?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Judy said, there are mRNA vaccines. We don't... um, We don't have any idea what they're going to do, but we do know that they contain these, what they call nanobots, or little nanorobots, that are pegylated. They're coated with polyethylene glycol, and there's a certain amount, about 72 Americans. Polyethylene glycol is a new chemical, but it's in a lot of drugs, and now a lot of people have antibodies to it, which is very dangerous. Oh, about 72% of Americans have antibodies because they've been exposed. There's, there's different ways to get exposed. A lot of actors have the antibodies because um, PEG, polyethylene glycerin, it's also known as PEG, is in, um, is in the, the dry ice, you know, the, the fog that they use on stage at some time. We don't do that in this church. <laughs> you don't use those we need gimmicks. To start. You use car tricks instead, right? <laughs> Oh, uh, (laughs) no, we just bring in experts (laughs) for real. Anyway, certain people have high levels, and if you've been exposed before through other medications or through industrial exposures, you can have the antibodies, and that means that you're in danger of having an anaphylactic reaction, and about 7% of Americans have high enough levels that they could go into anaphylaxis, which is... You know, life-threatening, and we sent a letter to Tony. I sent a letter to Tony Fauci in August, and to Peter Marks, who's the head of FDA, and I said, "You should know that there's pegylated antibodies or um, pegylated nanoparticles in these two vaccines, and the companies have not been disclosing it to people in the clinical trials." And they are going to end up causing anaphylactic reactions. And Fauci ignored the letter. Peter Marks wrote me back and he said, you should talk to the companies about that. He's the regulator. Ooh, ooh, Fauci paid for these vaccines to be made. $2.6 billion we paid for those vaccines to be made. And I'm telling him there's a poison in there that's going to kill people. And he said, talk to the companies oh um, when the vaccine came out, people immediately started getting these anaphylactic reactions, and they admitted after two weeks, they said it's coming from the peg. And um, the... Uh, so, you know, that's a problem. What we found out, we were wondering, why didn't they see this in the clinical trials? They gave it to 22,000 people. And as it turns out, the companies knew about it. And they told people in the clinical trials, if you've ever had an allergic reaction to anything, you're not allowed in the trials. So they excluded them. Uh, They were testing the vaccine on a group of people that did not look like the people that they're gonna give the vaccine to. And when they started giving it indiscriminately to the public, they immediately started dropping people.
0: This was one that was asked earlier. Maybe if it's, it might be one of the questions uh, that you have. But it was, um, can you comment? And I'm going to go to you, Dr. Judy. Can you comment on Kerry Mullis and the PCR test? Uh,
1: Yeah, Kerry Mullis is the um, uh, late Kerry Mullis is the doctor who invented um, the PCR test. Um, It. And um, he said himself, and and we know it's not a clinical diagnostic. You're basically amplifying a fragment of the genomic material, a fragment of the RNA, not at all the entire virus. It doesn't say anything about clinical disease. It doesn't say anything about viral load. Um, We have hundreds of um, family members of coronaviruses we've been exposed to throughout the generations. Um, You know. And, and this is, um, you know, it's, it's fraud. It's not a diagnostic test. It, they know it's not a diagnostic test. You're walking around saying people are cases because you amplified and everything about it is wrong. So you've amplified a, a tiny piece of the pathogen, called it the entire virus. Nothing has, it's never been sequenced, pulled from a human with the disease for a virus to be causative for the disease, the person has to be sick and nobody's sick. And they just call them asymptomatic carriers. So everything about the PCR test is fraud. So I said it at the beginning, nobody in this church is sick uh, uh, and and nobody has COVID and nobody tests positive, there are no cases. Why? Because you're smart enough not to get that test. Just say no. (laughs)
0: I was in the airport sitting next to my wife, six feet from anyone else except for my wife. I have my mask down. Kid comes by and says, don't you know the rules? Your mask's supposed to be up. And I'm thinking, okay, Carl, COVID, Carl. Um, And I I said, what about the vaccine? He goes, even the vaccine, you still aren't going to be. And I thought, young man, what do you want to do? Walk around with a muzzle all your life? This is really what they're scaring people to do. And this poor kid is one of their useful... Let's go to the next question.
3: <laughs> There's a lot of young mothers in the audience, and I'm going to try to lump all the questions into one. Uh, mother was asking, during pregnancy, can you pass on the toxins from vaccines that you've been taking in the past? And the follow-on question is, if child has started to receive vaccines, say the, all the ones that are before three years old, should they stop, or what's your recommendations going forward on... The vaccines that you would. I wouldn't say
0: your recommendations as much as your thoughts. What would you
3: do?
1: (laughs) Since we're not, I'm not a practicing physician. I make the, I make the drugs. But, um, yeah, stop right now. Never get another shot. Just, every, every single shot can be the shot that. Literally ends life as you knew it. So um, you know we're we we have a lot of technological advances. We can we can use a lot of natural healing, energetic healing, all kinds of natural therapies um, to detox to some level, but. You know the the animal viruses. The first part of the question, the viral contaminants. Remember, you've got chicken eggs, cow blood, um, dog blood, aborted fetal tissues. You know somebody else's endogenous virome is is not yours. So if they inject somebody else's viruses you will cause and eight percent of of our body um, is is called a virome that is, is regulatory it's so important that it that it regulate and communicate with the microbiome the microbes and everybody gets together as designed. is that, is that by pathogenic the... priming kind of well pathogenic priming is is some of it because that's the problem you're you're going to make a response from your own immune system to restore the balance and you can't because you keep getting injected with more and more animal viruses of the same family. Every chicken egg, every flu shot, every dog cell, every... So, yes, some of those can stay through the generations. And that the higher the amount that you get, the more damage you see. And then you can see the kids now. So, the only thing I disagree about what Bobby said is he said one generation. Nope, it's three generations. Fifteen years is a generation. So, we are seeing... Um, Parents, young parents now who are totally vaccinated who make no antibodies whatsoever to measles so who caused the measles outbreak um you know the vaccinated because they don't have natural immunity i got that week off from school and now we appreciate that if you got natural measles not only do you have lifelong immunity but oh you don't get breast cancer, you don't get ovarian cancer, you don't get some of the things because your immune system will recognize um, the the, the viral associations that you never knew about. So You mean God God made it that way? God made it that way. (laughs) Wonderfully, (laughs) and, and so we were born, we were born with these viruses. The one called syncytin is is a gamma retrovirus and all everybody uh, every primate every mammal who has a placenta, every animal that has a placenta has syncytin. So one of the things being expressed in that dangerous COVID vaccine is syncytin, um, synthetic, um, and it fuses, the, the word syncytia means to fuse the cells together. So we, we carry the uterus and the placenta fused together until the baby's born by the expression of that gene. So it will sterilize people when you inject a synthetic one, you will make an autoimmune response to that and you will destroy your ability or could destroy your ability to, to, to have kids and, and literally destroy humanity, and they know it. it
2: what do we, what, what, yeah,
0: let's do two, one more and then I, I, I get to end with the question because, okay, my privilege.
1: Um,
3: let's see. Oh, Real quick, t- two <laughs> is there a remedy for repairing your cells from childhood vaccines?
1: There are lots of remedies for repairing your cells from, it's from childhood vaccines, absolutely.
3: Okay, we'll have you back and we'll talk about all this. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you know what, last... Let's,
0: we'll, we'll, if you're around tomorrow, we'll do it.
1: I'm driving to Carlsbad tonight. No, no
0: you're changing your plans. <laughs> <laughs> what time do you leave for Carlsbad?
1: After here.
0: <laughs> These are not the drones you're looking for, you're staying. No. <laughs>
3: all right, go ahead, we'll so, work it out. So the last question, Bobby, how do we support you? Uh, how does uh, that's our my bodies? deal. Okay, I'm doing okay. i sorry. You're back closing up, with that. Go up. for it. <laughs> I'm done. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll tell you how we're going to support him. But first, before we do that, I, I want to close because um, I was born in 64. My, um, my mom and dad loved this nation. My dad was a military officer. My wife's grandfather actually served with your uncle uh, when you spoke of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was very high-ranking admiral uh, won the navy cross and your family has been instrumental and your uncle when he entered in he, he was he was an outsider he wasn't part of the swamp in that sense and he undertook a great change in the country and the turmoil ensued and, and his assassination in Dallas was devastating. And then as the nation tried to, especially young people, there was an awakening with a, a, a hope. And he even said about putting a man on the moon and the inspiration of that. And then I, I think about 1968 when, when your dad, uh, you were probably nine when your uncle was killed. You were what, 13 or 14 when you're 14, you're 14 when your father was killed. I can't imagine that. And, and then the conclusion of 1968 with the devastation of what you face as a family, we have Apollo 8 orbiting the moon and reading out of Genesis 1 as we're contending with just the nation in turmoil. And you you find yourself as an instrument of, of healing in this country. And, and, and so much of that has come from the inspiration to contend for issues that nobody wants anything to do with and that seem beyond our reach. Do you want to talk on the inspiration of your family and... and because we're just we're just honored to have you and, and this family, iconic to our nation, anything that you'd like to share.
2: Well, um, you know somebody asked me the other day about how um, I maintain my you know I didn't, didn't suffer from burnout, um, from uh, you know getting kind of multiple losses that you're. I've been doing this issue for 15 years, and um, in many ways they've slowly dismantled my life, you know, in terms of, uh, of losing relationships that were important to me, and losing a lot of political power, and um, and that, you know, how do you kind of stay upbeat throughout that, and my, um, I have this, Uh, incident that happened with my father a couple of years, a couple of months before, he, or weeks actually, before he died. He died in June of 1968. And um, a couple of weeks before he died, he handed me a book. He was at our house in Hickory Hill in Virginia, and he handed me a book, and a book, and he told me it was some urgency that he wanted me to read it. He had done that before, but there was something particular about this book that was unusual, and the book was... And I read it, I didn't read it until after he died. And, you know, I I thought about it a lot because I felt like it was, he was trying to tell me something that was important to me. And the book was Camus' book, The Plague. And it was a um, it's, a, it's a story of a, of a plague, of, a, of an epidemic in North Africa that has affected a, a city that is quarantined. Nobody can come in or out. The plague is an unnamed plague and it's killing people nobody's ever seen it before. And the story is about a doctor who begins the, the book. He's in his apartment and he's wondering what he should do. And he doesn't know how to help anybody. Nobody knows how to cure it. And he knows that if he goes out, he's probably going to catch it and die. And so he's struggling with the issue of whether he should go out. And he ends up going out and just comforting people. And the act of doing that, even though he can't save it, even though what he's doing is absolutely futile, is it brings a kind of order to his universe and a, and a meaning to his life. And Camus was, the, was an existentialist. And the existentialists were really the inheritors of a Greek tradition of Stoicism. And the Stoics were people who believed that, um, that you should do your duty in an unadorned life and in doing that, you give yourself meaning and purpose. And that all of the pleasures of life, the accumulations, don't bring you happiness and don't really do anything for you. What, what does something for you, what brings you real happiness and enduring meaning is, is purpose. And the, the, uh, the hero, uh, the kind of iconic hero of the Stoics was Sisyphus. And Sisyphus was a figure who had been cursed by the gods and doomed to constantly roll a boulder up a hill. And he was supposed to roll it over the edge of the hill, but he could never get to the top. And he would get almost to the edge, and then it would roll back down onto him, and then he'd have to start and do it again, and he had to do that for eternity. And and the Stoics believed that Sisyphus was a happy man, because he put his shoulder to the stone. And even though what he was doing was futile, and he knew he would never make it to the top, he was doing his duty. And as long as he did that, it brought order, it brought meaning to his life, and therefore happiness, and it brought order of some kind to the chaos of the universe. And for me, you know, I've been involved before I was doing this. I was doing environmental advocacy for 40 years, which I continue to do. And a lot of that is um, is kind of hopeless work because we're seeing so much degradation to the globe and, you know, to, the, to the, the kind of world that our children are going to be living in, which is not going to provide them with the same opportunities for dignity and enrichment and prosperity and good health as the as the communities that our parents gave us. And so you could go around with a sense of loss all the time. And my, you know, the thing that I learned from my dad is that you have, you cannot focus on the results. You just, the only thing any of us have any control over is that little tiny piece of real estate inside of our own shoes and nothing else and that all we can do is make sure that we are in the right place, doing the right thing at, you know, at all times and keep doing the next right thing. Oh, that was awesome. I, all right,
0: here's, here's what we're gonna do. Um, first of all, yesterday, my family, um, we said goodbye to our little grandson who was uh, born still. And we buried him yesterday. And, but what you just described, this is a world of hurt and pain. And if, if, if anyone has the right to say they're a victim and to quit, it'd be your family. But to the contrary, the generational inspiration and what you just shared, anyone who's given up on this country, stop it. If this man can rise to this level and this woman with what they faced and endured and they're contending on behalf of your children and your families, it's time all of us start doing the same. Thank you. Now, you stay put. Now, while we're standing in adoration and gratitude, let's see how thankful we are. I never ask for a dime, I never have. I don't ask for money, I don't pass an offering bag, I've never made it about money, never about this church. But I will say on behalf of these two, we're gonna give them an honorarium, we always do. But whatever's in that offering box in the back goes to your work, we're always gonna take care of you, but goes to your work tonight. Oh, now you're clapping a little softer, I'm thinking let's. And then, uh, amen. And then, in addition, how can they support your ongoing work?
2: Please go to Children's Health Defense and join up. And that's all. And then, you know, follow us on The Defender, which is the magazine, and we will give you assignments. And, uh, you know, you can push the rock up the hill. Now, would you stand so we can bless you guys? Let's thank Dr. Judy and
0: Bobby Kennedy Jr. for coming. Thank you so much, it was an honor, thank you, thank you. Now, uh, they've got places to go, she's got to go to Carlsbad, he's busier than a one arm wallpaper hanger, so uh, I'm going to walk down the center aisle, don't grab on him, don't give him hassle, we're just going to walk back, you can wave at him, but we've got to get back there, and please give generously, and I'm going to get these guys fed and on their way, so come on, let's go.